0: Okay, everyone, we are indeed back after a long absence once again, but we are back with episode 36 of the Great Divide podcast. This is Tom here in America on a beautiful fall morning here, and Svein in Norway on what, I don't know what the afternoon is like for you. Is it beautiful? Is it bad? Is it, what, what's it like?
1: It looks pretty gray out there, so I feel like an honorary Scott today, but it's always good to connect, and I'm wondering if we're ever going to start the show without saying we're back again
0: after a <laughs> long absence I know it really is. Uh, we apologize to all you people out there. I, I know I've gotten some emails saying, when's the next show coming? When are you going to do another one? It's been a long time. It's it's The show is never far from our minds. I think I can speak for fine when I say that. It's just... Um, I wake ult- up
1: at night in cold sweat.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the big country is never far from our minds, so the show obviously wouldn't be. But, nope. you know, we... We both have here. Here comes the typical uh, response. We both have very busy lives. We're both involved in very many things, and what can we say? We do the best we can. But we we can say, I think, pretty pretty definitively that things will get better at least over the next couple of months because, well, we've got uh, all the Steel Town stuff to look forward to, and we're in the process of getting some ideas together for those shows. So we should have a pretty pretty big wealth of steel town related material coming this fall so that that will hopefully be uh, something different from these long breaks that we've been having in the past
1: we seem to always be a bit more busy during fall so I w- i'm wondering if this is a fall podcast primarily if you look at last fall we were sort of rapid fire getting out like five or six podcasts over i think just october november wow so maybe we're getting into that now
0: Wow. Well, it's interesting because I think big country, at least to me, has always been a fall band. All I right. Mean, there you go. The, yeah. When the fall hits, I feel all melancholy and nostalgic. And there's that smell of burning leaves and burning wood in the air around here. And I think back to listening to Steel Town when it came out. Didn't Steel Town come out in October? Yeah, I think it did. It sure yeah, does. That probably has a lot to do with it because that that mood is always really been very much a fall type of mood for me so maybe that's part of it i don't know Hmm. but who knows but we do have a few things that we wanted to mention before we jump into the show we're going to be talking about the remasters the next batch of remasters which i guess are are officially called represents um yeah i will never call it that but uh, fine it's it's kind of hard to say yeah it's it's awkward it's very awkward so you know we we can call them remasters whatever but uh before we jump into those um we just want to Cover a few things that some people might be wondering about, or some things that have happened in the big country uh, world since we've last spoken. But I think the first of those uh, gotten a few questions about the Seer petition that we that we started and talked about um, a couple episodes ago, and uh, the the petition was really successful. I think um, it it wasn't successful to the point that Universal has that has mentioned it or said anything about what they might be planning to do, but. I think we were we were pleased that we were able to get so much uh, help from the other sites and Facebook sites, and we were able to promote it, and a lot of people signed it. Now, now initially, my projection of 5,000 signatures, um, we fell way short of that. We got just over 1,000. But um, I think once we realized that the band was not going to be promoting this petition, we pretty much quickly realized that 5,000 probably wasn't a very feasible number at first. So you know what? I think what what you know what it stands at now, is fine? I haven't checked in a few days or a few weeks, actually. No, I, I
1: must say the the podcast might be not far from my mind, but this petition this has really slipped back there. I, I yeah. can dig, I can dig it up.
0: It's probably close to eleven hundred, I would say, um, yeah, some, somewhere around there. So we we met our goal of a thousand. Um, and you might be saying, well, what's next? You know, did I sign up for this for nothing? Well, no, I don't think you did because. The timing of this thing was as we mentioned on the last show we did about it was kind of poor in a in a sense because there was no way that this petition was gonna change these remasters that were already pretty much completed at the time this petition was was kicking around. They were so, way
1: completed. I think uh we saw the track listing proposal in January. And yeah. we we kicked off this thing uh, a couple of months ago. So we were at least uh, half a year too late, if not a year too late. So yeah, exactly, th- 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 this has to be a long-term race, and I think uh, both Tom and I are looking at the 30th anniversary as the next possible chance that you might have something happen. And But also, I think they will look at how these uh, deluxe editions are doing, and if they do well, they might say, "Okay, maybe there's a market for big country uh, sort of extra collector releases."
0: Yeah, exactly, and I think that 30th anniversary would be perfect. So. That's less than two years away. So I would say don't feel discouraged about anything not happening at this point. I think we made a good foundation for something we can build on here down the road. I know the band is obviously well aware, but it was, it was kind of um, something that uh, they were aware of from the beginning. Um, they've let the estate of Stuart Adamson know about it. I don't know how any of that works. I'm not pretending that I do. So I don't know what that even means, that the estate of Stuart Adamson, Adamson knows about it. But apparently they... Obviously, have to be involved in these types of things, so they're aware of it. They're aware that this exists, and as we'll talk about when we talk about the liner notes of these new remasters, it's clear that some other people are aware that these mixes exist from Robin Miller. So, um, I think we made a, a, a nice little dent um, in the armor of whatever we're trying to uh, whatever we're trying to, to destroy here, or, or, or do, or accomplish. So, um, so it was a nice start. We're gonna put it on the back burner for just a little while we 'll get back to it I'm we're hoping that the 30th anniversary of the seer might be uh, an event worthy of finally hitting our goal and getting this this thing released so we'll see Shit. the biggest big country news is that um, they've got a new song out and that song is called all lay down It was released without any fanfare. I think we knew that they were recording something because there was a post on the Mark Brzecki fan page, maybe, or a picture posted of them actually recording. And someone mentioned that uh, they were working on a new new tune and people were wondering when it was going to come out. And then just a few weeks ago, it popped out not just musically, but with a video. So what are your thoughts on that? It's fine.
1: Uh, there, there's a lot of... Uh things to say. I think perhaps more interesting than the song itself is the way it was launched. So, uh, so like you mentioned, um, on the 29th of August 2014, a new Big Country song was released, but uh, not on CD, not on vinyl, not even on iTunes. It was dropped on the Big Country YouTube page and nobody I- knew it was coming. And I think this is kind of symptomatic of the business today, that shock releases are... It's kind of the new way of doing it. So when David Bowie, for example, came back last year with The Next Day, his first album in ages, and he managed to keep it a secret that nobody knew, and it really created a splash. Yeah. And uh, I'm not a big fan of Beyoncé, but it's a great example. She did the same thing. She shocked released her most recent album in a similar manner, and her fans had no idea it was on the way, and then boom. And it's interesting that she does it because that sets it apart from David Bowie from Big Country and lately from U2 who (laughs) also came out of nowhere saying here's our new album and not just here it is but you get it for free. And that that created a big splash for them too and so it was very effective even though they got some backlash when people felt the album was forced upon them but I think that's more an Apple fault than a U2 fault. But uh, anyway, now Big Country falls into this pattern so I don't think we really knew that... A song would appear in this way. I think we had some signs that they would record. And Bruce has said in the past that, uh, they, they would record songs over the air, write songs over the air and do them now and then. And, uh, now we have one of them. So I think, yeah. I think more artists will do it this way from now, release some songs when they have them. And when they have run their course and the momentum is out, they will release a few more. And in the end, I think, a lot of them will collect them and put them on an album, and that seems to be a big country's way right now. So uh, the record industry has changed. It's less about albums; it's more about individual tracks. And I have to say, I hate that. I really I do don't. Too. I really don't like getting songs this way. But that's the way that kids are this way uh, these days. And I guess the question is: if big country's core fans are like that, if if they are older and would buy the albums. But um, I think as long as they do it this way, fine. But I kind of hope they record the songs at the same time, because I don't want to have a collection of songs that all of them have a new sound. They have different mixes, different people involved. I I like the continuity of an album.
0: I think this is less them trying to get into the whole shock release type of thing, as it is them kind of putting their toes in the water with Simon. Um, Now, they did go you know, a big step further by, uh, by not just releasing the song, but releasing a whole video, which yeah. obviously shows that maybe they did have more thought into it than that. But, um, yeah, and a just decent production something. quality too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it, this is like a, uh, big country experimenting with Simon, seeing how things are going to work with them writing, releasing one song. I don't think heart of the world, for example, was ever intended to be on any sort of album. It was them with Pat Ahern releasing a couple of tracks. Um, And just, you know, throwing their toes into the water, dipping their toes into the water, seeing how things were going to work out with this new band. That's kind of how I feel about this song. Um, And I heard from Bruce about it, too. He gave a little bit of background on it. He says it started off as a Jamie tune in the attic. And we have seen that before. We saw them post that music uh, a year ago or so. And I think everyone was really pleased with the way that was sounding. It kind of had a Restless Natives feel to it. And it was also interesting to find out that it was actually written by Jamie. So a lot of people were wondering about this new song because no one knew exactly who wrote what, what, who wrote the lyrics. I was particularly interested in who wrote the lyrics because when we spoke to Bruce last, he said that Simon had not written any lyrics with them and he was curious to see how that was going to work. He was going to allow him to write lyrics and see how they were. And I think he made some kind of joke that if it's just like, hey, baby, we would just maybe write some ourselves. Well, it turns out that Simon actually wrote the lyrics to this song. Um, Bruce says he sent an mp3 of the music to Simon. He said Simon recorded a lyric onto it and sent it back to me, me being Bruce. And Bruce says, uh, I discovered that then I discovered that there wasn't a chorus. So I wrote the chorus chords and sent it back to him. And then he says, and then we as a five piece went into the studio and recorded it. It was not recorded as a new single or anything, just really an experiment to see if we could write together. And then he says, the next batch of songs will be written with everyone present in a rehearsal studio. So I I think um, that kind of explains their their thought process to the song. I think um, they're just seeing how they work together. And I think, uh, I mean, we'll talk about the song here in a minute as far as our reactions to it. But uh, I think it shows some potential. Clearly, this
1: is the reemergence of Jamie's theme from the ethics Sessions in February. And... uh, I also hear, I think a lot of people pointed out that they hear shades of Buffalo Skinners at the very end of the song and the outro. Whether conscious or not, uh, I hear it. Uh, Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And uh, it's funny about the video that we we kind of touched on. The band is clearly aware of their own iconic imagery. Because you have the landscapes, you have even, they they dug out the boys' own adventure books. You see that image kind of pan in the background and you see them actually... Looking at the books, so it's kind of like the, in a big country video, but without the girl, and without the storyline, and it's also much more pensive. We see them study the books, study the maps. Bruce is kneeling by the beachfront, looking out. It's much more reflective mood, and right. and that is uh, that fits the song because the song is more laid back. It's uh, it's not a kind of forward leaning, aggressive song. It's more leaning back. Quiet play, and I wouldn't call it a ballad. It's more, uh, how do you call it, reserved in its approach, laid back, I guess. And that makes it a little hard to judge. So it's not the kind of song that grabbed me. Uh, I think it's a song that is a grower, but it's not catchy on first listen, I think. I think, uh, like you, it's a promising start for new material, but it's very hard to judge because all eyes are on Simon here. He's the new guy. Everybody wants to hear how Simon is doing. I, and he's, uh, his singing is the same laid back reserved style. So I'm kind of thinking, okay, I would be more relieved if this was an album track and in the context of an album that contained more going up screaming type vocals because he doesn't show that he can do it here. And uh, that's I think what everybody wants to see that he can deliver that kind of passionate vocal delivery and uh, so I think there's not a problem with this song, but it doesn't prove anything in those terms so I'm still waiting for that, and uh, I'm sure the album will have that, but in uh, as an sort of encapsulated song on its own it, it's all right it's um I, th- I think it's not the best I've done I think it's very far from the worst I've done. Uh, if anything, I would have hoped perhaps that Jamie's original theme—I um, thought that had more potential than this. I think it's also a little feeling I have that it—it it, it yeah, had I more can... passion than what comes through here. It is too yeah. reserved for such a passionate melody, like.
0: I, I would agree with that too. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with most of what you said there. I I like the song. Um, I think it's got a haunting kind of churning growing feel to it and it does kind of kick in a little bit toward the end as it builds it really builds throughout the tune but it it never really builds to that big big country trademark crescendo that i think maybe a lot of people maybe wanted but i just don't think the song calls for that so i read those comments too on facebook where people said well simon never really kicks in you know we don't really hear him belting it out we don't really hear this well i just don't think the song calls for it i don't think there was there were any um I don't think it was a matter of him saying, "You know, I really can't belt it, belt it out here. I just can't do it." I don't think it's any reflection on Simon because I've seen him live um in vid- in a variety of videos really hitting those notes. So I don't think there's any problem there. But I just think it's uh it's just the song. It's just the way the song was built and it's the approach the song called for and it's got um it's got kind of a haunting quality to it. And I was I was pleased with Simon's lyrics overall. I mean, there are there are a few moments where I thought veered into a little bit too cliched territory kind of like uh don't look back i felt like that was a little too reminiscent of <laughs> wild land in my heart you know where, which even then i thought that was cliche when stewart used it over and over again in that tune but uh and there's even like the line as i've run aground and which is obviously in reference to ships but overall i like the i mean i don't think it was a conscious reference to ships necessarily don't get me wrong there but it, that's kind of the imagery it immediately the Nautical to meet the theme in my head yeah exactly exactly yeah so who knows how much of this was was him trying to capture what he thought the big country spirit is and have and him just writing naturally we don't know we'd have to ask him that but uh i kind of i really like the story that the song tries to tell there's something cool about it. it it almost reminds me of um i don't know who he was thinking of when he's talking about this ancient people that that did not fight and were setting themselves apart from the people who just thirsted for war constantly but it kind of reminded me of uh american indians at times the way he was describing them i'm sure i'm sure anyone from any country has a certain group that they might be able to think of but uh
1: the highlanders the old highlanders
0: yeah but they fought amongst themselves unlike these people
1: yeah but you see though battle cries were heard for miles around it's kind of like one sentence says they never fought amongst themselves the second one says though battle cries were heard for miles around.
0: So well, see I got that as as they were they were trying to be peaceful while war was w- was waging all around them. So I, I took that to mean like battle cries from other people were heard all around this group of tri- people as they tried to live peacefully.
1: That could be. No I like you I like the lyrics a lot. I think they are I see no problem really even though um, I don't know what the reference to running a ground in the chorus is. Because there's no personal context. It's all about yeah. others. It's about that people. And then that one line is about me or the, the me person. And I've run uh, So uh, I thought
0: that, that
2: too.
1: Yeah, but, but it's fine. But uh, w- when you refer to the don't you look back thing, that that's, that takes me to my pet peeve with Simon. His diction. Mm. His, uh, it's um, I think that the worst example is exactly that line. He says, don't to look back? Don't you look back? Which is God, please say it really. Don't you look back? It's, don't you look back? Don't <laughs> you look back? I,
0: See, I like it. I have to admit, I like it. It's got a, it's got a flavor to it that it doesn't hit me wrong at all. It's certainly got a flavor. It.
1: No, that grates me. <laughs> and but uh, I'm not going to hold that against him. But it grates me there in that song. But uh, I think for the people who say, oh, we. He doesn't come up screaming. And sure, he doesn't. But that's more like people are wanting to hear it if he can do it. And this They'll song hear doesn't. It. This, th- yeah, they will hear it. This song, this song won't take you in that direction. So the jury will still be out until they get those songs. So I think in the context of an album, this song would sit just fine.
0: As far as this being a toes in the water type of song, I think it shows a lot of good potential for uh, for what's to come. So we'll see. We'll see where it takes us. Shit. Okay, so now to the the meat of this show, and that is the three remasters that have recently been released. The Represents versions of... Yeah, we should call them Deluxe Editions, because you already had remasters. Yeah, I know. Super Deluxe, Deluxe, whatever you want to call them. Th- these, are, these are worthy, I think, of being called a Deluxe Edition. They, these, are, these are great releases. Most of you who listen to this show are the kinds of big country fans who are going to have all these tracks already. Most of you do. Many of you do. So a lot of us looked at the tracks and thought, oh, I've already got all this, you know. I don't know exactly if it's worth buying for maybe one more demo that I've never heard before or whatever, but uh I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but I I think these are very very worth having. We've got The Seer, Peace in Our Time, and No Place Like Home, and uh they've both been re-released, repackaged. Very great, very good packaging. We've got a lot of great artwork, and the thing that for me was the highlight of these releases aside from some of the new songs i hadn't heard before or some things that surprised me that we'll talk about from the track listing that i don't e- i don't even think the, had been promoted in the liner notes that maybe even escaped the record company's notice but uh the thing that i really loved about these were the liner notes they've they've all got wonderful liner notes with uh little factoids that i'd never heard before and very cool little anecdotes that we'll talk about here too that i just loved so when I when I bought these, I thought it was going to be the same old liner notes of people saying, "Yes, we did this and it was great," and we, we Kate Bush came in and wasn't she wonderful? But there were some really nice little new stories that uh, a diehard like me had never heard before. So that's always incredibly welcome. So uh, what were what were your initial thoughts on getting these? Was it something you were really excited about, or did you just kind of initially get them because you just wanted to complete the collection?
1: Yes and yes, <laughs> right. No, I think it's. Uh I, I was definitely curious to see the the track list, and uh, yes, it's it's you you cannot touch it. It's um, it's a mixture of we have all this already, and then but do you do do do? It's <laughs> <laughs> because there are some really big surprises on all of these, and uh, I think we'll go by them one by one, and uh, eventually you know. But give people a chance to decide if, if that makes it worth your while picking it up, if you haven't already. But right. I th- I, what I like about this is the style. This is perfect. This, this goes back to, I think, a campaign that started with the BBC box set, which was like a beautiful presentation. And each of these deluxe editions, even though they're wrapped in your average two CD, CD cases and uh, how much can you do about it? But the booklets are fantastic. The liner notes are great and they're written by, uh, the great Tim Barr, who also wrote the book in the live BBC box set. So
0: we've uh, got to maybe get him on the show someday.
1: He, uh, he seems to be close to uh, a lot of
0: sources here. So in fact, I think he may have listened to our show. And we'll talk about that.
1: Okay. Uh, hi, Tim. Good to have you. <laughs> uh, no, so, so these, these liner notes are great. Uh, we have about eight or so CD booklet pages packed with info which is basically the story of the album and uh there are details there that you will have to be pretty dang close to the album to have heard everything before and there were slots i have never heard before and uh, we're not going to spill the beans on all that stuff you can buy it yourself and read it like you should and enjoy it yourself instead of our secondhand poor retelling of it i've but, got to spill the beans on at least one of them uh, we'll, we'll tell a few But uh, also what I like is the total style. The fonts are retained from the original releases. So if you open the seer, you will see the lyrics printed in the same fonts as they were on the inner sleeve or in the tape or whatever format you had in the past. A piece in our time, the same font. No Place Like Home, same font. Even all the way up to the wavy uh, titles of the songs in the inner sleeve. So they really put a lot of um, eye on details here. So, uh, and, and the CDs themselves, beautiful pressings, beautiful labels. And I don't know if they're replicas of something or other, but, uh, it's just that kind of, uh, level of detail that I really like. So the, the, when you get them in your hands you open it, you look through everything, it looks great. So from that point of view, it's already a winner. I have one beef to pick. And well, that, there
0: are a few with the typos and things like that.
1: I actually didn't see too many typos. I'm sure there's a few. But uh, my, my my beef to pick is... Uh, actually, the Seer is okay, but uh, Peace in Our Time, No Place Like Home, are both missing Stewart's original liner notes, or kind of intro, that were included in the 1996 remasters. So strangely, the Seer liner notes are there, written by yeah, Stewart. Yeah, that's true. Whereas the other two are missing them. And I was kind of thinking, okay, why are they missing? Uh, is it uh, a rights thing? Is it the estate not being happy with it? Well, they included one for the seer, so surely that can't be it. And uh, I was also looking at the 96-liner uh, notes. They have some words by David Sinclair. They are replicated. Stewards are not. So... I'm missing that, and uh, I think that's almost close to an unforgivable omission.
0: Yeah, it it didn't bother me nearly as much as it bothers you, but I think it would have been nice to put it on there. Certainly, the David Sinclair thing was, um, well, that was a much longer piece that kind of summed up what No Place I like Come was all about, but I think we already got a flavor for that with the new Tim Barr uh, liner notes that he wrote. So... Yeah, I think it would have been nice to have Stewart's uh, original notes from the original 96 remasters be at the forefront of all these. That would have been a nice touch, too. But that was no—that was not enough for me to necessarily give him a bad mark. The, the thing that I thought, they dropped the ball on the worst, and John Gouveia, of course, was the first that I, that I to notice this as far as I knew, but um, they got the Big Country website wrong. Bigcountry. Yeah. BigCountry.com. Yes, it's awesome. BigCountry.com, we go to the GoDaddy website registration page. This web page is parked for free, courtesy of GoDaddy.com. Shot. All right, so let's get into these one by one. We'll go chronologically, starting with the Seer.
1: Okay, so uh, I thought we'll, we'll talk about the contents yeah. first. So uh, we have two CDs. CD1 obviously has the full album. It's the normal Turbo remixes. So that again, like we mentioned already, the timing of the discovery of the Miller mix was very bad. But maybe for the 30th anniversary or something else down the road, we can get the Miller mixes. So so we have those 10, and then we get into bonus track material. So we have Restless Natives, the normal song we all have. And then I think it's very interesting that we actually get Margot's theme, Highland scenery, and Home come the Angels. So while we already have that on Restless Natives and nar- Rarities, we have them as part of the full piece. We don't have the individual tracks as they were on the original B sides, so this is actually the first time we get them on CD as those little snippets of music with those titles. So, yeah. to, to me, that's actually a big deal, even though it's. I like that too. Uh, yeah. I, I, so, I, if you want to have that, you need to get the set. You you will only get that here. Uh, "Song of the South" is kind of interesting. We get the seven-inch version next, but on CD two we also get the full version, yeah. uh, which is uh, significant. And I don't know off the top of my head, if the full version is anywhere else, but at at least you get both of them here, and the single version is 349, whereas the full version is 504, so there is uh, quite a bit of difference
0: there. And see, I have a big problem calling that the quote-unquote full version. What that clearly is, is a remix, the same way that they remixed One Great Thing, or Look Away, or The Teacher. I don't believe at all that that quote-unquote full version is the way the song was intended to be. I, I think it's I think the way the song was intended was the was the 7-inch version that we have. Hmm. And and what this version is is just somebody having fun with the song just like they had fun with the teacher or look away or whatever other song they remixed. I don't think this is like Big Country's definitive version of "Song of the South." I think this is just another remix, and it's interesting that they remixed a uh, a song that was a B-side. But uh, I think that's exactly what happened here.
1: Hmm. So you think it should be called long version rather than full version?
0: That's exactly yeah, yeah. I think long version or remix or you know
1: yeah. Okay, long version it is. All right. Okay, so to round off CD one, there is a live version of "Honky Tonk Woman," which might be close to the bottom of anything they have on album. As, as far as my interest, <laughs> but, have I, but
0: have I ever listened to the full version of that song? I don't think I have,
1: <laughs> yeah. No, well, I, I have, but uh, but it's it, I think if it's not on the bottom, it's pretty close to, to the bottom, but you get it here. It's a rowdy version of Hunky Tunk Women and uh, <laughs> it's uh, the this one is rounded off by an instrumental of Hold the Heart, which I also think is uh, is new on CD here, yeah. I, I, I
0: think I you're
1: right, yeah. So CD two. Uh, Obviously, we have the original vinyl version of Restless Natives, which means we have part one and part two. More interesting is track number three on CD2, which is I Will Run For You, which is basically Restless Natives in a different edit. And I think we found uh, it has a significantly longer intro, and crucially for me, without the movie dialogue... I think the the ebow intro, which is a lot longer, is gorgeous, and the guitars are much more to the forefront. And I also think Mark's drums sound more real. I don't still don't think they sound fully real, but definitely more real and less compressed.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, in fact, I think um, there are many different things about that mix that really are different from the Restless Natives tune that we're also familiar with. The, the 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 acoustic guitar intro, actually, when the acoustic guitar comes in very unprocessed very uh there's even a part that's missing i think from that um but it's very clean and dry sound uh and more of an in-your-face type of sound and the the bass that kicks in there is is kind of vicious and that's a great contrast Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a ton that's different about that i'd love that love this tune
1: yeah but what's with the title i will run for you i actually actually went and looked at the lyrics in case i missed it it's not sung anywhere in the song
0: yeah, I don't understand that either. I I do not understand this title. I will run for you. It makes no sense lyrically <laughs> with the song, and um, it, I'm sure there's a story behind it. There's got to be a story behind it. I would love to know what it is. Maybe we can find that out at some point. Yeah, change lyrics, um, I would wager. That that could possibly be it. Uh, it could possibly be where it was used in the in the movie. Mm. Um, I'd I'd have to go back and watch the movie and see if I could spot where it was, where this actual version, if it was used, was used. Maybe there's a scene where somebody's running for someone in the movie. I don't know. Mm. But, um, yeah, it certainly has nothing to do with the lyrics that, that we're all familiar with. And I, I just pretend that title doesn't exist. To me, it's Restless Natives. <laughs> it will always be Restless Natives. And actually, I would say that this now is the definitive version of Restless Natives for me. I would think so.
1: I think uh, as beautiful as the intro is, it could be rather long if you just want to put the song on you and, kick straight into it but it still is the best one we have i think and uh even though this is also restless natives in my mind i guess it's good to have a title that differentiates it from the version that we already know i just would pick a different title then i will run for you but uh yeah. that's it this is definitely one of the goodies to uh, to look out for and uh, it might be reason enough to get this uh, on itself so to round off the disc there's a there's some. Sort of collection of 12-inch mixes, so nothing new there. We get the 12-inch mix of "Look Away," the mystery mix of "Teacher," the Boston mix of "One Great Thing," <laughs> and oh, uh, I know uh, <laughs> why would they put that on there. And the "One Great Thing" big bad country mix. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah,
0: well, that's, that's actually the worst offender by far. Yeah, that that's horrible.
1: I mean, uh, I, I would listen to the Honky Tonk Women live version ten times in a row over this one time. I probably would, too, I have to admit.
0: Yeah. So Even um, Faith, I would pick over that any day of the week.
1: Oh, that's saying something. Yeah. I mean, let's follow up that statement with uh, another song of similar choosing. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh no. We'll get to that. It rounds off this uh, this set with mixes, and it, it's good to have them there. You, you could always wonder, other other things you could have had them there? And to me, the collection of 12-inch mixes is a sign that there isn't. And we'll just put this there. So, uh what... One thing for me, that for um, for re- new versions of albums, they should cover old ground well. And if you compare the 96 remaster, obviously Giant isn't there, but that will have a slot on the upcoming Steel Town. And if you look at the other ones, I think the bases are covered. Yeah. So, uh, well done on that. That's the seer.
0: I agree. Not much I can add to that. Um so I won't try. But uh, I, I do want to say a couple of things about the liner notes on this. And um, yeah, I n- it never even crossed my mind that someone might even think it was a spoiler. So if somebody is out there and does not want to have any of the little anecdotes from the liner notes ruined for you, just turn it off. Turn off this podcast now or fast forward for a minute or so. Because there are just a couple of things uh, that I just had to mention and was planning on mentioning. But This sounds like a five-minute or <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know it will be. But um, – I think the coolest thing about the liner notes is that we get a lot of confirmation that people are aware of the Robin Miller mixes because Tim Barr is in here, not only writing about the Robin Miller mixes, but I don't think it's definitive that he's, and I don't think he has heard them, but at times he writes almost as if he's heard them, especially when he's writing about, uh, Kate Bush's contribution to the seer and, um, how that was originally supposed to be her duetting almost with Stewart, But, um, that's another thing that I, that we should mention in relation to the seer petition. I think there's word getting out or out there that this this new and different remix of the album or mix of the album exists. And people and if the more people like Tim Barr talk about it, the better chance we have of hopefully seeing it in the future. But he talks about it a lot in these liner notes, and um, yeah. I think there's an overriding theme in the liner notes of how disappointing it is that we have not heard Robin Miller's versions, which are the superior versions i think that's mm-hmm. also the theme that comes across in here so
1: i was shocked at how far he went in insinuating that when this is yeah. a release done by universal and <laughs> they want to promote this one and right they, right they're basically getting someone to write land rose who talks down this version of the album and hopes yeah. that in the future we'll get something better uh, that, yeah, exactly. that's exactly really surprising exactly
0: exactly and and there were a couple little things i wanted to mention little stories in there that i'd never heard of before um Two actually. The one is when Kate Bush comes in, and we get some comments from Robin Miller, and we're all aware of what she brought to the table and how she had worked out her parts and all that. So that's nothing new. But I like the uh, the feel that he put across in his story when he said Kate came in and she said very matter-of-factly, "I've got seven parts worked out, and here's what they are." <laughs> and Robin Miller is the producer of the album, so maybe he's feeling like, "Okay, well, I'm the producer here." And he had even said to her, he says well, what if I don't like the parts you've come up with? <laughs> and he says there was a little bit of an icy feeling there at first when uh, when they started to discuss these things. But then he listened to what she was doing. She just went in there, bashed out her parts, and he he realized, you know what, these are fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was so cool to think about Kate Bush in her mansion by the sea, uh, working on the instrumental track or whatever track, Stewart Center of the Sea, or working on her parts. I could imagine her sitting in her house and, recording all of her different layers of background vocals and lead vocals. And that just really made me feel uh, feel good thinking about that that happening sometime before she actually went into the studio to record these things. So, so clearly she gave this a ton of thought.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, that's an and, awesome uh, story. And rightly, she felt
1: really disappointed when she heard her parts yeah. basically removed. And uh, so there's two sides to that story. One is WoW. Any other one is damn. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and uh, hopefully we can address the damn. Exactly. And the only other thing I'll mention from the liner notes is one of my favorite little anecdotes from all of these. Maybe my, in fact, it is my favorite. It's a great little story about Stuart. And Robin Miller tells it again. <laughs> in fact, uh, I have to ask you if, if it even made you listen to Look Away again. But um, he's talking about the, the guitar solo in Look Away. And he says he asked Stuart to play it on a Les Paul guitar because he wanted a, a deeper richer feel to it and stewart typically played these things on strats and fenders And if you're not a musician type Mm -hmm. person you won't know the difference but basically a stratocaster telecaster type guitar gives typically gives a thinner type of guitar sound whereas these les paul guitars with the humbucking pickups typically give a thicker bigger sound so he wanted that for look away so stewart is set up in the in the control studio getting ready to play the solo to look away his amp is set up in another portion of the studio that's soundproofed. So he's standing there beside Robin Miller while he's playing the solo, and it's actually being amplified and recorded in another room. But he's uh, he's playing in the sound booth. So Robin Miller says that, that Stewart starts to play the solo, and he and it just sounds so good. He says during the solo, during the moment that Stewart is actually playing it, Stewart leans down to Robin Miller and whispers in his ear, "I'm fucking great." <laughs> 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 and he says he says not only did he do that while he was playing but that is actually the take that they kept for the guitar solo in look away so you've got this great little new story to add to look away you, i don't think anyone ever thought anything new would ever be added to to the song look away but i went back and listened to the full song with a big smile on my face thinking of stewart playing that that guitar solo and during the solo whispering down to robin miller I'm fucking great. (laughs) (laughs) That just gives that song a whole new uh, level of appreciation for me. I I love that story. Oh,
1: It's a great one. And the booklets are full of these little things. So I didn't go back, but uh, I will keep it in mind the next time I'm uh, subjected to look away. (laughs) Good.
0: All right, so on to peace in our time. Now, this one probably has, well, it, it definitely has less of new type of material than The Seer. Um, but I think there are, still were a couple surprises on here that I wasn't ready for or wasn't aware of as far as things that were coming. And um, I'll just jump right to the biggest one, and that is Made in Heaven. The song Made in Heaven is actually what is called the extended version of that song. And people might be saying, well, what's extended about it? Well, there are, there are actually new portions of the song i mean it's the same music it's not like a, there's a new piece of music that's been added but there are, there's a section in there where um stewart sings i will be coming on the last of the midnight trains on the last of the summer rains and he, you get like new guitar solos that weren't in there before and some other new flourishes of music and it's uh it's the arrangement is different Kind of funny because I used to say for that song in in the earlier version that it was a long song, mm. and I would bring that up as an example. Of, you know, Stewart just and he, even by his own admission, he would say he he has trouble sometimes writing short thirty three minute and thirty second single type songs, and this was a good example of that. Where it was a freaking five ten minute five minute and ten second song. Yeah, yeah, the Extended it. version, which is which is even longer, even by longer, a full minute.
1: And and the, the the curious thing is I would be first in line to criticize Made in Heaven for being too long in the past and I'm also first in line now
0: being really excited that we get a longer version of the song <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so so that's really funny
0: And yeah and from an from an arrangement perspective I think I think the earlier version makes more sense even though that might have been a little long too and this one does not make sense to have some of these extra parts thrown in there it really does make the song in a way unnecessarily long but as you say, when you're used to hearing it a certain way for so many years, and you actually get new big country content with Stuart Adamson that you yeah. never knew existed, you you look at all of this in a completely different way, and it's cool. It's, it's these cool little guitar solos and Stuart's playing in the background. It's uh, it's great. So that was a big surprise to me. As far as the tracks on the album, pretty much everything I already had, but it, it's it's really nice to get. Um, the Peace in Our Time and Broken Heart acoustic versions on CD. I don't think they've ever been released on CD before. No, um, they, were,
1: they were only on the vinyl of 12-inch, so okay, this is okay. a
0: CD debut. Good, good. That's great, because it's really wonderful to hear um, Stuart just performing these songs solo. And actually, that's something I meant to at, to bring up about the Seer, too, is that uh, Robin Miller said that Stuart actually performed all of the songs for the Seer on an acoustic guitar when they first met, so he could get a feel for the songs. And Robin Miller said one of his biggest regrets is that he didn't record that. And boy, I'm pissed oh, about man. that too. Yeah, can you imagine hearing on acoustic or or the sailor acoustic, what that might have sounded like. But anyway. I'll take we any get, of them. Yeah, me too. That would have been awesome. But we get that kind of here with with peace in our time. And granted, these all came after the fact, but um at least as far as I know. Mm. But it's it's nice to hear these tunes done in such a sparse uh setting and and with such a stripped back arrangement which is steward and I, I always loved that these versions from the from the vinyl but um you don't whip out the vinyl very much lately these days as much at least i don't so it's great to have these on cd um the other thing we get here is of course pretty much a, an entire compilation of all of the REL demos plus a stowaway in these demos that really doesn't belong <laughs> yeah <laughs> that we'll talk about which which is kind of uh a big head scratcher here. I don't know how. I don't know how ages of a man made it onto this track listing, and not only that, but listed as part of the R.E.L. tapes. I'm very curious how that happened.
1: It's clearly a mislabeled track because this was not recorded at R.E.L. studios, and it was not recorded for "Peace in Our Time." No, this was recorded for "Driving to Damascus," and in fact, uh, it was recorded at House in the Woods in August 1998. And um, I know, because I have those sessions, and for the record, the songs they demoed during those August sessions were Bella, Ages of a Man, Perfect World, See You, Fragile Thing, and Your Spirit to Me. And listening back to those, this is exactly the same version as we get on this remaster. It is is not a different version, it is not an earlier one, which I first thought, I thought, wow, is this an old kind of leftover from going all the way back to 98? No, it's not. So that is a mislabeled one, but uh, hey, I'll take
0: it. What else is there to say that's noteworthy about this? I think... um,
1: There's one uh, curious mislabeling or changing of title. There's a song called Cuts Like a Spoon which initially got everybody really excited, but it's the same track as Wolfman and the Clown from Rarity Six. So so if you
0: have Rarity Six, you've heard it, and if not, then you have it there in a different title. And I've heard Cuts Like a Spoon, I've heard that title before, so I... I don't know where that came from, but I'd heard that title even before this remaster came out. Mm. So I don't know if it was another instrumental demo. I think maybe it was. Um, it might have been a case of someone just getting, just mislabeling the two or getting the two confused. I don't know, but I know I've heard Cuts Like a Spoon before. Yeah. And clearly, clearly that's a Bruce Watson title. So <laughs> <laughs> You think? You know, right, right along with the great Garfunkel gets a hot dog, Soapy Suitor strikes back. Yeah. And now we've got cuts like a spoon. So indeed we do. Great Bruce Watson title. And by the way, Soapy Sudor, I I had that on the C D um single that it that it came with before, but it's it's nice to have that on a full compilation. I think it probably was on at least one other one, but um I, I enjoy that instrumental very much. So it's it's nice to hear that. And uh it, you what's cool about this for me is that you've got all of the REL stuff out in one big thing yeah. I, I would almost prefer that it was all on one CD I don't know if they could have fit, fit it all on one CD but whatever it's, that's a minor quibble Um, it's just great to have everything here
1: it is and I, I think there, there's just space being the, the problem and you can always uh, debate whether when a drum beats uh, should have been on the main Ariel tapes or uh, like a spoon is another one but those are the two that are not on it everything else is on CD2 yeah. And uh, to me, that is a selling point in, on its own. Just getting REL tape in one spot.
0: Excellent. So that's peace in our time. As far as the liner notes of this album, um, no, no it's, it's very cool. Again, it's, Tim Barr does a great job setting the tone for these these uh, these albums. And um, there's nothing quite as amazing to me as the Stewart story from the Seer or the Kate Bush thing. But there's some cool stuff here from Tony uh, talking about being out on the town in Los Angeles during during the the, uh, the beginning of the recording sessions for this album and going into a club and seeing this guy playing bass, uh, this club band playing bass, and or this club band performing and watching this guy playing bass in this club band and just being taken with the guy and how he was playing and the style he was playing. And he said that just watching that guy, he says he doesn't remember his name, doesn't know who he was, doesn't even really remember the song he was playing, but that guy was his inspiration when he recorded the track King of Emotion and the bass to that song he was thinking about that guy and the way he was playing. So Yeah, blame him. Blame him or thank him. But um little things like that I think are little gold nuggets, at least to me. It's yeah. great to hear those types of things. And that's that's what uh it's the minutiae like that that really adds to the big tapestry of memories that we have for these tunes. I mean, I don't really want to hear necessarily a, again about Glasnost and the Cold War and the trip to Moscow. we've heard those stories so many times it's It's great to hear these tiny little nuggets that you never even thought about before, and that's that's what I love about this so yeah, uh, yeah it's great, great stuff,
1: yeah, Tim Barr is clearly uh, close to the source, and so he he can he, mine it
0: for stuff that is unmined he is and and the reason that i that I um wondered about him listening to the show by the way. And I could be completely wrong about this, but he mentions he mentions Julian Baum by name in the liner notes of the Seer. That's Sear. right. And he says something about Julian Baum having created a version of the Seer album cover um and then not really liking it and then having it redone. And that's exactly the story that Julian Baum told us on our podcast. And um I'm thinking, where else has Julian Baum ever told this story before? Because if That's by right. his own admission, nobody had ever <laughs> nobody had ever spoken to him before. And we, we kind of tracked him down with the help of some of you listeners out there. So um We did you know, because it,
1: because Bruce didn't remember
0: his full name. He said he was called Jules. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so. Exactly. And another thing about the, the liner notes in peace in our time, Tim Barr mentions the fact that um Peter Wolf recorded every string of Stewart's guitar on his synclavier and then played it. As for for Broken Heart, instead of actually having Stewart play the part, he played the samples of Stewart's guitar part. So I know that when when Bruce told us that on our show, I know that was the first time I'd ever heard that story. Maybe he's told it before, but I'd never heard it before. <laughs> so uh, hey, Tim, <laughs> Bard, if you're listening, yeah, if you're listening, believe me, we're we're very thankful that you are listening. So <laughs> don't take this like we're saying. Hey, we said this first. Who can't? we're not saying that at all. It's just kind of a, a cool little kick to think that maybe somebody was listening to the show and. And got some uh, gleaned some useful information that they could put onto to big country liner notes. So that's what know. we're doing this stuff for. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I think it's too big of a coincidence. I, I'm I'm going to say that he he got that from listening to our interview <laughs> with Julian Baum.
1: I think you put it together uh, a convincing case there. Shit. So no place like home. The first thing I thought for some reason, and this is not even the most important thing to me about it, but. The original logo is reinstated, which means the, the flaky, slightly flowery, new big country logo. And <laughs> as much as I prefer the old one, this is the right one for this album. This is the one that was there when the album came out. So I'm actually glad they did it. And I wouldn't have taken it for granted that they would have considered it. So again, that goes back to the level of detail that they put on this. And that's, uh, that's fantastic.
0: And it suits the material better, too. Just the look of that logo. As much as I prefer the old one. And I'm glad they didn't keep that old lo- that new logo. It just suits the album approach. Yeah, they,
1: it was a new era, and I think that is mentioned many times in the liner notes. This is a new era for Big Country," <laughs> said Stewart. Said, said right. Tim. So uh, no, so that um, that's the album. I think uh, most of the interesting stuff is on uh, the second disc. Just to go through the first one, we have ten tracks from the album. So this is the LP version that is considered the album proper. So, Comes a Time and You Mean the Truth, which was only on tape and CD, has actually been put on disc two, and I'll get to that when we get to disc two. So the rest of disc one, after the ten tracks, is basically a radio edit of Save Me, uh, Pass Me By, Dead on Arrival, World on Fire, Heart of the World, Black Skin, Blue Eye Boys, that's pretty close to Honky Tonk Women on my list, and uh, Untroubled Man, which is significantly higher on the list. So you get yeah. basically a round-off on, uh, on the usual B-sides from the, from the time. And uh, then CD2 starts with Comes of Time, You, Me, and the Truth. And the fact that these were separated from the main album is actually, it bothers me. I think it's a mistake. Uh, I think that was done on the album only for time reasons. Whether you need to carry that LP mentality over to the CD, I don't know. I don't quite agree with. And also why they had to be separated onto a separate second disc away from the album proper. It's just... Um,
0: yeah, it's, it is interesting. That it's very interesting that they chose to do that too, separated to another disc. I, I think it lends itself back to the time period, though. I really... I remember seeing the track listing for this album and it was as it's listed here. It did not have comes a time. It did not have you mean the truth on it. And Mm -hmm. I remember they then later released the CD track listing and they said that these two songs would be on it. So I really got the feeling and I think bands did it more this way back in those days where they felt like they had an album, but because they wanted to release this on CD as well, they were gonna put some extras on there for you and there was there were always like CD track listings that were a little bit longer than album track listings. So I, I would have to assume that maybe even back then they never really they didn't view these necessarily as being legitimate parts of the full album. And almost the way that this track listing is comes out here, it would sort of confirm that fact. But it's a shame that they would <laughs> they would choose comes a time to- or leap of faith over comes a time, but um I That's think for another discussion.
1: I, I definitely think Comes of Time is one of the best songs on the album. I, I, I do ca- too. I can live with you, me and the truth, not being on there. But uh, the fact remains, I, I like to keep things as they were. And this might go back to I didn't buy the LP. The first time I bought it, I bought the tape. Then I bought the CD. And now I'm buying, I think, the CD for the third or fourth time. What did and, the tape have on it? Did the tape have Comes of Time and You the, Mean the Truth? The tape had the same as the CD. Okay. So uh, that's always been the 12 track album to me and this is the first time I'm getting a 10 track version in 2014 on CD. So uh, it might definitely I'm used to having the entire album but also I think it's really strange that they went back to the LP now. They didn't do it for the for the 1996 version. So um, it's definitely one of those things. You don't miss out on any tracks here but if you're used to hearing the 12 track version you won't get that experience here. You need to change the disc to get the the last two. So uh, it's it's a little or just peculiar. In, or just
0: put in your or just put in your old remaster <laughs> and play that instead. You know, I'm gonna have to keep it up. I can't <laughs> retire it. That's right. There you go. You gotta they, you gotta have it. Definitely. No. So
1: CD2 opens with those tracks, and it's a it's a very curious choice. But there you have it. And then you have the roundup of the rest of the, the usual B-sides with Freedom Song, Peace to Go Goodbye, Only Waiting, Return of the Two-Headed King, and Flying Like an Eagle. And then at you the start. At the
0: correct speed, I might add. At, at
1: the correct speed. In, in fact, the, the slow speed one is quickly becoming the rarity. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they probably need to include that uh, somewhere else in the future because a lot of us lived with that version for years. <laughs> <So> <laughs> but uh, after those batches of B-sides, we actually get into more interesting territory where the with demos and the first demo is soul on fire which uh also was on rarities 2 and that is a demo from uh, i think june 89 or so and then we have a curious track called gypsy girl and uh, it says previously unreleased in the liner notes, but that's actually not true. It might be previously unreleased in a big country album, but this is a Bruce demo. And I think Bruce has released it several times.
0: Yeah. Wasn't it on one of his, uh, his homemade kind of mixes that he put out years ago? It was on several of them.
1: And I think okay. the first
0: one was the Hyotonto Away, which came out as early as
1: February 2001. But it also made it to the CD sampler. Uh, of Wild Blue Yonder, and then the Wild Blue Yonder album proper, Snorkeling with God. So you'll find Gypsy Girl there. So this is a total cool. Bruce demo, written by Bruce and sung by Bruce, and, nice. it's, and it's obviously the first version of a uh, song that we now have four versions of at least, which <laughs> is uh, the one ended up being uh, Into the Fire. Right. And uh, right, exactly. I guess we'll talk more about that uh, as, as we get to later versions of that on this disc. Uh, we have Freedom Song as the next one. That is very interesting. That is unreleased. I think it, primarily it's unreleased because it's not recorded when the batch, or the main batch of demos for La Com were recorded. This was a January 90 song, and uh, this really had me going. This, this is a fantastic version of that song. And I have to say, Freedom Song, I've always liked it, but I've never really been that keen on it. it, it's, it it's been okay. But for some reason, hearing this version, uh, I, I'm really excited. More excited than I've ever been about the mother song, so to speak.
0: So that... Um, it is a great version, and there, there's some different lyric, lyrical things in it, too, I think. And a um, little harder-edged, I think.
1: It's harder-edged, slightly faster, and uh, definitely the mood is different on it. So, yeah. Uh, it's very interesting, where they chose to take the song. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is an exclusive. So you get that demo version here. And the same is for the next song, which it's is another unreleased demo of Keep On Dreamin'. And if I was excited about Freedom Song, this one really is, uh, the gem on these two discs for me. The demo version of "Keep on Dreaming," which is also different from the other demos. It was recorded a couple months earlier, in April 1990. You'll find that most of the uh, "No Place Like Home" demos were recorded in June in Riva Studio. This is called in the. Uh, this is recorded in the Kava Studios or Sava. Uh, so different location, different uh, mood, different atmosphere, and. Uh, Definitely a a bit of a harder edge and slightly faster version of this song.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So, uh, this one is really a a gem, really the one that really gets me going more than any other song on on this disc. So, after that, we have more demos, and this is uh, most of the remaining demos come from the Park Lane Studios, July 90, which is all the stuff you find on Rarities 5, basically. And you find more stuff there from these sessions than what you can find here for space reasons. You get, uh, you get Kansas, you get Leap of Faith, you get Hostage Speaks, you get Beautiful People. And then the last one is a bit different. Uh, that was recorded in January 91 at Rockfield Studios in Wales, which is some six months after demoing. So while it says demo in the track listing, I would say this is not a demo. I would mm-hmm. label this an outtake.
0: It is definitely not a demo.
1: Yeah. Because this, the time wise, this places it right in the recording of the album. And uh, what you'll see here is actually, uh, uh, it's not the same as appeared on Rarities 2. So Rarities 2 will also have Celtic Dreams, but this is a much more finished take on that version. It's basically the finished music of Into the Fire, as it appears on the album, but it has a different mix. And uh, Stuart is singing some lyrics from the Rarities 2 version. So this is basically the third version. If you start with Gypsy Girl being the earliest demo by Bruce, then you have Celtic Dreams as an instrumental demo by Big Country. Then you have this version of Celtic Dream, which is an outtake version, close to the album, but but with different lyrics. And then you have the final album version with the finished lyrics. So if you want to charter the development of a song, and really the journey from demo to finished product, you'll have no better song in a big country catalog or more examples of a song than for some reason, the song that became into the fire. So I, I I would, I did not expect to get two more versions of this song on this (laughs) set (laughs) where we had. I don't think anyone
0: did. Yeah. Yeah. and And that second version of Celtic dreams you mentioned was actually a fully recorded song. It wasn't just an instrumental. I mean, it had all the new lyrics and, tip similar music to Bruce's Gypsy Girl in places, but um that right. version on rarities has got uh which I absolutely love is got uh really a lot of different lyrics but a lot that, that crossed over. And um yeah, so now you have to admit who made you aware of this. You did. Of course <laughs> I I was shocked when I heard this because I don't think anyone I don't know if, if anyone knew this was going to be of anything of note because as you said the other demos are from the rarity six that we had already heard so we just figured well celtic dreams is going to be the same version that was on there Yeah, but
1: i basically stopped the disc after the keep on dreaming demo because i thought okay i heard the rest on uh, Rarity five already yeah and then so, you checked everything and you found that that was not
0: quite so well i, I can't take full credit for like uh you know checking it on with a, with a purpose in mind <laughs> i was literally driving home one night after uh, doing some work and um, it was just one of those nights where you wanted to listen to music driving, and of course, we've talked about no place like home being a good night driving album, anyway.
1: And you saw leap of faith amongst them, and you thought, oh, I'll just leave it on. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I had um, what did I have? I think I think I didn't even have the. Yeah, I think I had the CD. I was listening to the CD, not not my iPod. But in any respect, Celtic Dream was about to come on, and I'd listen to the Keep on Dreaming demos and. I thought, yeah, I could, I could listen to Celtic Dreams, even though it's the same song I'm familiar with. I, I love this song; it'll be, it'll be interesting to hear it. And as soon as it started, I thought, wait a minute, something's a little different. Music, as you said, it struck me as being the no place like home music. It's it doesn't have the um, the full accoutrement of effects and processing that the final album version has, which makes it even more interesting in a lot of ways. Mark's drums aren't really compressed at this point; they they have more of a more of an airy feel to them in some ways, and there are other little things too. But but then the the main thing that sets it apart is that when Stewart starts singing, it, he's not singing with the usual verve and and power and passion that he normally would sing a song and of course as he, as soon as he started i was like well this is different there's something very different about this song and once he gets to the chorus he starts singing the uh the thing the line that we know come on baby come on darling and you could really you could really tell that he's just kind of feeling those lyrics out it's almost as if he had just written them and and which is funny because the earlier version of Celtic Dreams never had the lyrics at all in that section. Right. It was an instrumental portion of the song. So I get the feeling that someone said, you know, we really need lyrics for that part of the song. There should be lyrics there. That's almost like a chorus. We need some lines. And so Stuart went back to mining Kate Bush territory, I think, because those lines come from running up that hill. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. And I think he just wrote them there, and it was kind of one of those things where he had to come up with something fast, and he chose that, and he wrote it. But the thing that gives it away that's so so funny and, and made me laugh out loud is that at one point in the, in the song when he's singing that chorus, he bursts out laughing. <laughs> Yeah. Stuart actually laughs on mic. And um, I don't know what was going on around him or if he just laughed at his own performance or what he was laughing at, but it's, it's such a cool little moment that you never would have expected. So um, so yeah, this is definitely not a demo. This is something where they had the music really worked out and finished, and I think Stuart was just really laying down some scratch vocals over the top of the music and he was just kind of practicing over it. Mm. So um, yeah, and as you say, it's so interesting to chart the way this song progressed, and if you listen to the first two versions, Gypsy Girl and Celtic Dreams, you'll notice that, uh, well, the original version of Celtic Dreams, you'll notice that the, the, the key, the key of the song is much higher, and both Bruce and Stuart are really just at the top, tip-top of their vocal ranges <laughs> when they're singing these songs. I mean, they're belting it out. It's actually very impressive for both of them that they're able to even hit these notes, especially Stuart on Celtic Dreams, because he is really belting that tune out, so I think it's clear that they said, you know what, this song is a little too high for for me to sing comfortably, so let's bring it down. They brought the key of the song down. And uh, they made these lyrical changes and it looks like the very last lyrical change that they would make to this song was changing the line Celtic dreams to young man's dreams and -hmm. changing it to into the fire because he's still in this version saying, I took a walk into the fire of my Celtic dreams. So, um, yeah, this is, again, another example of the absolute (laughs) minutia that that fascinates geeks like us. (laughs) Who else would be interested in this type of stuff? Maybe but, uh, uh,
1: maybe Stewart wore his really tight pants from the Chance video when he did the first version <laughs> of the song.
0: He would have had to. He <laughs> got those notes out, but uh, yeah. So yeah, this this was a, definitely a surprise that I don't even think, you know, the the people who were aware of it putting this thing together were aware of it because otherwise they would have said, I think previously unreleased. Um, why not? So this is also previously unreleased. So if you're just hearing yeah. that info for the first time, here's something else that you've never heard before that that's makes these things worth buying. so anyway, the last thing we'll say about no place like home liner notes for this again um some some good little stories here, but I think I think this is one of those cases where it's just opinion of course, but um Tim Barr really laid it on thick with some of these lines and some of this. In fact, he calls this album one of the most underrated masterpieces of the '90s. Yep. When is. I read that, <laughs> okay. When I read that, I was like, "Really? Wow. Okay." I mean, I've grown to really enjoy this album over the years. I, I'm not going to pretend that I don't, but even I, as as the biggest big country fan uh, around, as much as anyone else, would maybe question underrated masterpieces. But uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? Just accept it's, it. Uh, I'll accept it at this point. Yeah. Certainly at the time I didn't I wouldn't have accepted that even remotely. I was I was so sad about this album at the time. <laughs> 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 so very sad. <laughs> Bitter and disappointment. I really was. <sighs> but it's it's aged it's aged quite well. It's aged quite well. And when and when I did read the liner notes, one one thing I did glean from them was um a better appreciation for I guess, uh, maybe the bravery of, of Big Country to try to do something different like this at a time when really maybe the smart thing would have been to to go back to more tried and true sounds. That's that's certainly what I wanted as a fan at the time. But um,
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, was... And also, uh, I think there, there's been a perception over the years that this is a, the sound of a band not knowing what they wanted and fumbling around and trying things out of desperation. Whereas the liner notes more underline that they they actually wanted to try this. They took a chance. Yeah. And they knew a bit more what they were doing than perhaps people have given their credit for.
0: Yeah, very possible. And I'm one of those people who who would kind of lump that period in with with the band just trying to find their way. Um and I still feel that way to some degree. But yeah, this certainly makes it more clear that they it really was less of a just someone feeling around in the dark for something as they really did have more of a idea of what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Although I will say that the, the demos really are strikingly different from the final album version. And yeah. I wonder how much Pat Moran had to do with that. And also one one other thing interesting about this is that something I never knew is that they said they were trying to get Chris Kimsey to produce the album. In fact, he was slated to produce the album and that he, it, his project overran and it didn't work out. And then they got Pat Moran at the last minute to come in and, and produce it. So I'm not incredibly familiar with Chris Kimsey's work, but he he's a producer of the Rolling Stones. He produced mm-hmm. Undercover. He produced Steel Wheels, which I don't think anyone's going to say is a Rolling Stone masterpiece. But he, he, I think he was engineer on some of the earlier 70s albums, like Sticky Fingers, that kind of thing. So he, he was mostly well-known for his Rolling Stones work. So in a way, that kind of fits the theme of the music as well, because it does have that more bluesy type feel to it. So if they had tried to get Chris Kimsey to do it initially, then maybe that does even give more weight to the idea that they knew what they were doing and that they were trying to get kind of a more Americana, English blues type of feel to the album than they had had before. But Mm -hmm. who knows? Is it worth it sound quality wise to buy these albums again? Is the remastering job that was done on these that much different or that much better than the one the one that was done for the '96 version. Yeah. Well, the first, yeah. I mean, the first thing I'll say is that it it was it was re remastered. Um, the, the man's name has escaped me at the moment. I don't have it in front of me, but a guy it was attached to this project and he remastered everything. So, um, what do you think, Sven? What's your What's your feeling? Yeah.
1: Um, first of all, you can only expect so much from a re remastering. I think right. um, uh, once it's been remastered, once you're not going to see significant changes for subsequent remasterings unless it was a misguided attempt the first time. So a remastering is basically dabbling with the decibels, the dBs, making sure that it's it's the right levels. And you can only do so much. You can't change how the drums sound compared to the guitars. Then you're going into remixing. So uh, re remastering in itself, uh, I went into this not expecting too much. And what Tom and I agreed to do, and ultimately only I did, was a Pepsi challenge, which is basically, let's listen to the 1996 remaster and the 2014 remaster, side by side, two tracks, without knowing which is which, see if it's possible to get a clear favorite. So I did this, I solicited the help of my lovely, beautiful assistant wife, Uh, (laughs) so she actually played for me, I didn't know which one was was which, basically. And we went through all three albums. And uh, if we start with The Seer, uh, she played five songs for me. And four of those, I preferred the 2014, whereas the last one, incidentally, Hold the Heart, I couldn't tell a difference.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: So for that one, there seems to be a, a lean towards the 2014. And now what I will say is, I listened to this on my own, too. And what I could feel is the levels seem to be slightly higher for the new version, so it's it's one louder basically. <laughs> uh, so uh, so if you listen it's to one ba- louder, isn't it? It is. So if you listen to the back back to back, you can actually point out which one is the 2014 version, just because it is one louder. It's slightly a louder mix. So we actually had to do an offset here, where I, I heard them in in different uh, sound settings, so that I wouldn't just spot which was which. Uh, but still, the, for the seer one, there was a slight preference for, for the newer one. And the same kind of held true for uh, Peace in Our Time. Not quite to the same degree. I listened to actually seven songs. We needed to go through seven to get anything conclusive. And four tracks I preferred the 2014. Two tracks... No, let me let me get the math straight. Two tracks I actually thought was too close to call. And one track I preferred the 1996 version. Incidentally, that track was King of Emotion. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. uh, so I think there's a... I definitely prefer the 2014 of that one, too. And that takes me to No Place Like Home, where um, I think the summary there is I needed to listen to eight tracks, and basically four of them I preferred 2014, and four of them I preferred 1996. No, nothing conclusive at all. Okay. So uh, I think the main... Thing I got out of this is, man, I li- I need to listen to music in headphones a lot more because <laughs> I was sitting there with the headphones on and just a song like Dynamite Lady would come on and uh, I listen to music all the time, but when you have the headphones on, you get all the dynamics. It's really different. It's it's a it's a fantastic experience, especially if you haven't ever done it that much. And I I almost never listen to music in headphones, almost never. Uh, certainly not CDs. It would be ripped MP3s to a player, but that's not the same dynamics at all. So much information is scaled away. So to listen to a full-fledged, unripped album in headphones almost never happens, and that was a big wow. All
0: I can say is I've been cranking these things in the car, listening to... uh, That's how I listen to music mostly these days, just uh, because I like to listen to music as loudly as possible, usually. So um, driving gives me the best opportunity to do that but i can really hear a difference uh, it's it's not a night and day difference as you said it's it's not something that you can really alter that greatly but there are there are so many technological advances these days with even just mixing music that i'm even discovering working on my own stuff it's like you can add effects that make the music seem wider and give it a sense of space that wasn't there before and um I think some of that might have been added to this to these mixes because they're even in the seer, for example. I think it's the best mix of the seer that we've got to date. Um, even with the turbant mixes, it, it, there's they already it already had a good sense of space to it, but I, I get even more of a sense of space and certain pieces of instrumentation stands out a little bit better to me. And actually, the piece in our time remix is where that becomes more clear to me because that album already. We got to get to this one down the road when we do another album discussion, but, uh, and we'll talk about it more in depth. But Mark has been on record saying how much he loves his drum sound on Peace in Our Time, and I couldn't agree more. And it really just shines on this remix. There's just his drums are just so right there in your face in a way they've never really been before. So, and yeah, I think you're right. It's got a louder type of feel to it, but it's, it doesn't have that that brick walled feel to it that you get on a lot of newer releases where what that means is that people crank up the level, the overall levels of the song so much that they're just at the point of clipping and being distorted, but not quite there. But what they do is they also raise up the lower levels to try to come up there as well. So you kind of lose a sense of dynamics throughout a song, whereas everything seems like it's almost the same volume, even the quieter parts and, a lot of people, myself included, have, have a problem with that approach where people just want to make everything as loud as possible so that it competes with anything else that's on the radio or whatever. Um, I don't think that approach was taken here. I think it's it sounds louder, but you still get a good feel for the sense of dynamics in the, in the songs that, as it was meant to be. So long story short, I think it's definitely worth it. This has been done with a lot of care. No, it's not a remix, which would have been um, much more in-depth, different thing altogether. But what was done from the remastering standpoint, I think makes these a really, really worthy addition to your collection, not just from a collector standpoint to have them, but to listen to. I mean, these will be the definitive versions of these albums that I will go to if I want to hear them.
1: So which one is your favorite?
0: Uh, Good question. Good question. I think probably um, I would have to go with The Seer. Although they're they're all very equal to me, there's nothing that there's none of them really stand head and shoulders above the others. Um, I think the Seer simply because of the "I Will Run for You" track, or the new version of Russell's Natives, I should say, and um, just what else is on there? I, I, as you say, I love the, the addition of Margot's theme and the other yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, and there's just I'm kind of in. I guess I've kind of been in a Seer mood with all this Seer stuff that we've been talking about, and I think this is a. Just a really great period for the band. And I love hearing these outtakes that, that we hadn't heard before. At least, well, not outtakes, plural, but at least this new version of the song from the soundtrack. Um, still love Peace in Our Time. I, I really have enjoyed listening to the Peace in Our Time disc as well. That's another album for me that I was disappointed with when it came out and has aged very well for me and in most respects. There are still some things about it that I'll always have issues with, but uh, enjoying that. And then No Place Like Home. Uh, I think that has the biggest amount of new stuff that, mm-hmm. that that's on any of them so again as you mentioned the freedom the new version of freedom song is very cool um keep on dreaming to get a new version of that kind of a harder edge version of that too is great and then this new discovery that you know of into the fire this new version of into the fire with the the rarity of stuart laughing while he's singing it it's kind of a nice way to close it out mm. so uh, maybe i'm talking maybe i'm talking myself into no place like home now i don't know
1: no Place Like Home would be my pick primarily because of the fantastic demo version of Keep on Dreaming plus Freedom Song those two are are beyond what I could have hoped for. Yeah. Uh but uh, The Seer is fairly close because of the new version of Restless Natives, which is which is it will always be called that. <laughs> yes. But, well but if I have to pick one it's No Place Like Home but The Seer is breathing it right up its neck. And uh, if yes. I have to be honest Peace in Our Time Is the third on the list because it has nothing new, really, apart from longer versions of songs, um, which is less than getting completely new takes of songs. But uh, just having the REL sessions, it's actually... Disc 2 there is is one that I I think I will go back to
0: quite a lot. All right, good. So that wraps up our discussion of the new versions, the deluxe editions, and that kind of clears the slate for us. We are going to be giving Steel Town the attention that we really feel it deserves. So you can expect from this show all Steel Town all the time for at least the foreseeable future. Oh my god. I know we I know we have we have like talked about this, like how are we going to talk about the Steel Town album when we get around to it because it's such a huge album for us and it's like are we just going to be saying this song is so great, this song is so great,
1: <laughs> this song is so awesome. We actually put it off quite a bit. We, yeah. we talked about it in the past, That should we tackle Steel Town? And, nah, let's do something else, because we didn't quite know what to do with it. Because, we probably
0: would have still put it off if it hadn't been for the obvious timing of this tour and everything else.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of grateful for that. Otherwise, I'm sure we would have left this, it would have been the final episode and blowout and leave ourselves <laughs> just lying there gasping for air, and we finally did it. <laughs> and then <Right. laughs> yeah no so we don't have to do it that way i guess i guess in our minds we, we make this a little bigger than it needs to be we, we've we done a few albums at this point too more than we did when we first started talking about this so i think that helps
0: yeah no doubt about it no doubt about it so it should be an interesting time when we're going to be talking about the tour that, that's the great thing about it, what's coming is that we can talk about steel town in the past and we can also talk about it in the present with the with the re master deluxe edition and we can also talk about it in the present with the tour that's going to be happening around it so yeah. it's all tied in together it should be a really cool and interesting time so alright well that wraps it up for episode 36 then Um as always thank you for listening thank you for bearing with us as usual hopefully we can end a show sometime where we don't say thank you for bearing with us on our long absence but for now we have to say it again so if you want to find us go to our Facebook page just search for the Great Divide Podcast you can go to um bigcountrypodcast.com to find the show and as always go to John's page you can find us there too bigcountryinfo.com jfng.com <laughs> exactly he's made some actually really great uh, additions to that site recently he's got it so that he's got this great tapestry of big country images on the front of the page about every <laughs> album cover they've ever done including like CD singles and now if you hover over them which I used to always try to do in the past to know with no luck but now if you hover over them it will bring up all these different choices related to whatever you're hovering over so it's just an amazing wealth of knowledge there so thanks John for all you do for the show and so to get you in the mood for this for next time we wanted to play something as we end this this episode and this is actually pretty cool uh there there's a virtual big country tribute band that's been formed and this is kind of a testament to The way technology is today but also just the uh the passion that big country fans have so what is a what is a virtual big country tribute band well apparently it's a a few guys from different corners of the globe who have contributed their own recordings and then someone actually compiles all these into a tribute song of big country And we're going to be playing their version of where the rose is sown so they they sent me a little bio i'm going to read portions of this here to to set up this song it's 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 a little bit long so i'm going to pick and choose a few sentences to read here for you. But here we go. This is, this is their words. The virtual big country tribute band All of Us began as a question on a Facebook post in November of 2013 by Brent Ehrlich. And Brent is a member of our page, so hi, Brent. Um, Brent was wondering if anyone would like to form a virtual band to play big country songs. Potential band members were asked to send Brent MP3s of song tracks they created, and BC tribute songs could then be constructed. Brent Ehrlich arranged the song, engineered sound, and played bass and drums from his home in Miami, Florida area. Tyler Moore recorded his part just up the road from Dunfermline in his hometown of Perth, Scotland. Fargo, North Dakota native Eric Staven recorded vocals from the Washington, D.C. metro area where he now lives. All of us would not exist as a group without the best band in the world. So thank you, Big Country, for providing all of us with the reason to exist and inspiring all of us as we play your brilliant music. So there you go. That's, that's the, uh, the thought process behind all of us, and we'll see if they put out anything else. But in the meantime, we're going to send you out with their version, two Americans and one Scott doing Where the Rose is Sown. So here it is, and we will see you next time, episode 37 of The Great Divide, where we will finally tackle Steeltown. always kind of drives me crazy in this song because i don't know exactly what he's saying when he's like
1: you hoo, hoo,
0: hoo. yeah is <laughs> he saying you 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 are ah, you, you 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 my are, friend you, you <laughs> uh. i don't know if he's saying you are or you uh because you are doesn't make sense it's like you are and led me down the ages of a man that doesn't make sense so it's it's almost like he's saying you uh you uh you uh led me down the ages of a man uh, so we're, talking we're, about we're silence, save this for later i think <laughs>